Welcome everyone on this new episode of Let's Talk AI. Super happy to be here with Médéric Urier. Médéric, how are you doing? I'm fine. Really excited to be there, Thomas. Likewise, I'm super hyped about this episode and I have many questions. Uh, just for everyone who is tuning in, Let's Talk AI, the podcast for a deep dive uh, with experts about data and AI. Um, and we just have in-depth discussions of careers, um, tips, vision, uh, what's going on in the field, latest papers, and so on. And today we're with Médéric. Um, Médéric, for the people who might not know you, could you maybe introduce yourself in a few words? Yeah, sure. So my name is Médéric Curier. I'm 35. I'm uh, currently working as a freelancer for my customer uh, Decathlon. And I work uh, in a position of uh, lead MLOps engineer. Uh, so my task involves um, helping uh, others uh, in uh, deploying their, um, their AI ML system, uh, trying to define uh, Uh, which uh, component to use, uh, what are the best practices in terms of deployment and of development. And uh, yeah, I try to be involved on everything that could make the life of data scientists and ML engineers uh, easier. Hmm. And this is uh, what we need right now, <laughs> making yeah. our life easier. Yeah. Um, okay, so just maybe for, for, for everyone to, to get to know you a little bit better, mm -hmm. you mentioned Decathlon as your current client, but... Um, What are you trying to achieve uh, right now in the field or what are you focus what are you focusing on what are your interests at uh, if I were to ask you a bit about the state of the art of Medric <laughs> like yeah. what would you what would you share uh, with me yeah so I, I think um, what what I like with um, with MLOps is that it's a really stimulating field but that's not something I found you know uh, first hand. Uh, it's for, for my background, I started as a, a web developer, a security engineer. Then I move on uh, to, to do a thesis and become a data scientist. And um, from all my background, I found um, interesting, uh, something that, uh, that interested me more than others. For example, uh, working on system administration on Linux, <coughs> on um, Docker system, or, uh, um, and on the technical stack automation. And, uh, and, and data science also sparked my interest uh, because you have to combine mathematics, model, uh, uh, some advanced subjects. And uh, when you combine the two, that gives you MLOps. So um, it's, uh, it's a field that, that's cool. You build incredible stuff. I mean, I'm always amazed by how my colleagues speak about their project with uh, such passion and what it could, can do for others on logistics and so on. So, The, um, for me, the objective is to try to, to, you know, to, to ride the wave. I mean, it's, uh, it, it provides values, uh, it's stimulating, uh, and uh, you can find a lot of interesting projects. So if you have all of that, I think that's, that's perfect, perfect combination. Awesome. That's uh, your state of the art. Uh, makes total sense. So if that sounds good, uh, I'd love to make a, a quick retrospective on yeah. like key moments of your career. Uh, so could you share maybe... Um, the main uh, things since uh, university or like what are the key moments and uh, maybe some lessons that you can share with us along the way. Yeah, so I had um, a complex background, but I think it's uh, it retrospectively it's interesting. So I, um, I started, as I mentioned, as a web developer, mm -hmm. as a PhD, PhD developer. And so my task was to code PhD every day. Um, I mean, it was it was fine. Uh, I could make a living out of it, but uh, it was not the most stimulating. Uh, yeah. So I went back to university, complete a master's degree, and I um, I work in a security engineering. Really interesting stuff uh, because you have to always fight the, the bad guys. Uh, so you, people in the field, you know, they are. Uh, 
uh, always trying to find the ikeest way to do stuff. Yeah, I, I, I invite your listener to go at some point to a security conference. It's really amazing what you can find. You see how can people exploit things like that? I mean, it's incredible. And uh, so I really love the field. Um, and uh, for my first job as a security engineer, I work in a big bank called Clearstream. It's a kind of bank of bank, if you see. And um, the, my goal there was to collect all the logs of the company and to try to find insights. Uh, it, it, the system was called a SIM. Uh, it's a security information and event management. So the goal was to collect every log of the company, firewall, IDS, uh, uh, Linux system, everything, and try to find um, uh, breaches, uh, incident pattern in that. So we had to collect um, um, uh, terabyte of log every every weeks um, and to analyze them. And that's where I found, okay, I think there is really something interesting there. It was the era of big data. You know, the, the most trendiest thing back then was Hadoop. And uh, I thought, yeah, I really like managing this kind of huge amount of data. You, you, can, you have a visibility on everything in the system. You really feel like you are touching the brain of the security, uh, uh, of the IT security. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a really interesting project. The only thing is, uh, I mean, at that point, I was 25 and I thought, yeah, working in the bank, you know, it's it's secure, it's fine, but it was, yeah, it was a bit too, not the most stimulating thing. So I, I, my colleague told me, Mederic, you should do a, a PhD thesis that's even more stimulating, you know. So I, I went uh, to do my my thesis at the University of Luxembourg, and um, I collaborated with Google, and uh, my goal was to work on uh, detecting um, uh, malware with machine learning system, uh, which for me combines the two things I like the most: computer security. Um, uh, machine learning and uh, yeah it's uh, to, to move to move the field there's so much to be done still many things to be done right now i think and uh, yeah it was an interesting uh, uh, thing wow that's very impressive how many questions uh, we'll deep dive into uh, different of these subjects that you just mentioned i'm very curious about technology i really want to ask you also about coding principles and like yeah. um uh, like well, basics um different interesting things that we'll come back to uh you mentioned your thesis so i'd like to maybe linger a little bit on um uh, your phd so you mentioned that um you did it in collaboration with google uh, can you maybe share a little bit uh further what was the thesis about um how was it to go from a bank to a phd like your colleague told uh your colleague told you that it would be um, a stimulating experiences. Yeah. Was it a stimulating experiences? And like, do you have some insights and maybe share your conclusion, the conclusions of your work? Yeah. So to give you an example, so when I say what you when you people are looking for something stimulating, uh, when I work on the sim system, uh, at some point I say I, it would be so nice to have a system to send the log to other system. Uh, so uh, at that point, I read the LFC for uh, the syslog system on Unix and implementing okay. my own thing on Ruby. And that's okay. where my colleague to me, Medelic, when you are doing this kind of stuff, you should really definitely do a PhD. You know, it's uh, <laughs> this kind of stuff. You read the LFC, you do, uh, you know, you try to experiment with it. Um, so, yeah, I, I move on to, to do my PhD. Uh, so in the beginning, um, the Android malware uh, was uh, a big topic. You know, mobile, it's, it's really used uh, nowadays uh, and okay. still is now. Uh, and so the, um, the thesis, at first, what I thought was to, to use machine learning with uh, deep learning, uh, XGBoost, and so on to detect malware. But yep. when I came in the domain, I realized, oh, man, there is just so many people that just that did that. You know, people from big universities, okay. from Google as well. 
And when you discuss with Google people, they tell you, yeah, you know, we have tons of models. You know, we are Google, so we have tons of good models to predict uh, to predict stuff. So I thought, okay, so yeah, doing machine learning might not be the, the best thing. So um, what I, what I ended up doing is to try to work on the data because I asked experts in the domain, um, okay, what you are trying to do to predict malware and what mm -hmm. is the malware? And people told me, yeah, malware. It's uh, so maybe you're not familiar. We have uh, this tool called Virus Total. It's yeah. a, a system from Google which uh, gather all the antivirus in the world okay. and uh, give you uh, the rating for each. Like you, you give it uh, uh, Android uh, malware, an Android uh, application. Sorry, mm -hmm. it tells you if it's a malware and which family. Okay. We use that, and people in the field were saying, yeah, if, if the system says it's a malware, then it is a malware. But you know why? What, where is the payload? What, what the malware do? You have nothing. It just uh, this is the malware of this uh, family, like Pugio, Adu, and so on. I thought, yeah, but it's it's kind of bad because some antivirus say it's a malware, others others don't. Mm -hmm. um, some uh, some system they don't agree on the name. So what's going on? And uh, people tell me, yeah, but you know we are researchers, so for us that's fine. You have a system telling us it's a malware, so you know we can do machine learning. We are fine with that. Okay. And so I um, I decided to to go deeper and to to on this thing and to to create proper ground, tr ground truth for malware. Okay. For me, this was key because I think if you don't have, um, if you don't understand your ground truth, you know what, what do you predict? Is it good? Is it bad? How can you judge? So it was, it was uh, not the most I would say uh, uh, exciting task, but it was the, the task that I feel was needed the most in the field. So mm -hmm. my group uh, managed a system called Androzu. They were managing uh, eight million Android application. Okay. So um, it, it was in a scale of petabyte, so a lot of, of Android malware. And um, I took this malware, and through my thesis, I tried to, uh, to understand how the, 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 what, what is the malware that you have uh, in, in our way. So I took the antivirus label from VirusTotal, mm -hmm. analyzed them, tried to find, okay, what are the recurring patterns, how we can uh, say, it, is, is, a, is it really a malware or not? Um, then I came up to a, a new algorithm to, to take all these labels, put them in a, a graph, you know, an acyclic graph, and try to map uh, what are the relationship between them. So it's similar okay. to what you have in NLP, you see when you have mm -hmm. uh, occurring uh, terms. Uh, here it was with, with malware names uh, to try to, to summarize, okay, which are the key family, mm -hmm. uh, to find the synonyms, to find the thing which are related, the one which are not. And um, in the end, uh, my last uh, paper was um, taking the whole database of, uh, of Android that you, uh, application that we had, extract all the features I could find, so the strings, the class name, the files in them. So uh, you, you name it, I had, I had billions of, of features because everything could be a feature. It was like, uh, do you have this string, yes or no? So everything could be a, uh, a characteristic, mm. precisely. And... Um, and uh, I run an algorithm similar to TF-IDF, you see in NLP. So to, to, to say, okay, you have plenty of things which are commons, like uh, mm -hmm. you can say, for example, in ML project, every project has pandas or Escalern, but some mm -hmm. things are more singular than others. Yes. And the goal was to highlight the singular thing and associate them with the family. So for example, mm -hmm. you take the Hadoop family um, mm -hmm. and you realize, okay, there is this class, it's only present in the Hadoop family. And so I, um, I extracted all this code snippet and, and uh, all this thing. And I could say, okay, given this family, these are the core, um, the core characteristics that are uh, singular to this family. And, uh, and people could pin to go on this feature precisely, or on this, um, on this code snippet to find, okay, to analyze the system. And so I ended up presenting my, my work at Google. It was a great experience, but... Uh, yeah, a PhD can be uh, a lot of, of difficulty sometimes. So, but I can can come up on that if you want. Wow, 
That's very impressive. I have one question on top yeah. of mine, but uh, but uh, I'll keep it for after. Um, and and what was the feedback of girl and what the what did the PhD um, like? What did you learn during the overall experience, not only in terms of conclusions, but like just going through the process of of pushing the limits of the field and presenting to Google? Like, how was your overall experience? What was the feedback? Can you share a little bit on that? Yeah, sure. So I think the first thing is, I think a PhD is the best way to feel both incre incredibly dumb and to feel like a god because you are jumping from an emotional state where you feel that you, you are um, a failure, you cannot accomplish anything good and you are, uh, you know, you will quit the PhD from, oh, I have the best idea and I'm just eager to implement it. So it, it was uh, this uh, mm. constant uh, zigzag of uh, emotional states. Um, what was um, keen the PhD for me is, uh, first, I, I learned a lot technically. Uh, that's something I was really looking at. So uh, I had to manage uh, 15 um, terabytes of data. Yeah, this is my next question. Yeah, <laughs> like, so how, like, how do you like, write algorithms at such a scale? Like, how do you think? But uh, we, we'll come back to it. Or maybe yeah, you want so to, it, to come It's one of the most interesting thing. I think it's, you know, I, I had to manage 15 terabytes of data, but not with the cloud. It would yeah. be too easy in a cloud, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can <laughs> no, imagine. So, no, no. so we had, um, you know, um, uh, PC towers, you know, like the one you use to play games, you know, wow. at home. Um, we have four of them. And uh, okay, my, my challenge was how can I scale my algorithm? Because it was really the main struggle. I think I tested 20 databases from graph database, like Neo4j, Titan Graph, uh, Genius. Uh, um, I tested uh, so PostgreSQL, MongoDB, uh, because I had, I had a particular pattern I'd like to, to have. So uh, to explain. You have applications. Naturally, uh, you can say for this application, I have this characteristic. Now, opposite question, I want to say I have this characteristic. Give me the whole list of applications um, that are related to this characteristic. So okay. it's easy. It's like uh, you have sparse, sparse matrices. It's like doing a transpose. And it's incredibly hard to do at scale. So you can do that maybe on some system, but I have yeah. billions of, so I have uh, millions of applications, billions of features. And um, it was a key challenge. And so I ended up doing, I think for me, it was at some point, it's like you throw it on the wall, you see if it sticks. So I was, I said, okay, let's try Elastic. Elastic worked, perfect. I can use Elastic. So I, I had, um, I created the, the cluster, distributed on the system, uh, trying to, um, to, um, to run my, all my, uh, my computation on that. Uh, to give you an example how brittle it was, uh, at the end of my thesis, um, the sysadmin, uh, the, the, the system was freezing. So we didn't reboot the server, you know, so the system was completely freezed, froze. I, we asked the sysadmin, can you please restart uh, the server gently? So what did they do? They just hard reboot the system with Aye. the cache, everything, you know, I said, oh man, I just, I'm just three months before the end of my thesis, please let me, I, I, I beg you, I want the server to be up and running. So it was up and running. So thanks. And um, yeah, so it was, uh, you know, everything, everything we tried to, to scrap things because, you know, the university, they had a great uh, computing system. Uh, so a lot of, of, uh, of CPU, RAM and so on, but in terms of disk, of IO. And I think mm -hmm. that's something that you may also experiment in the field. It's, um, you, it's not necessarily the thing you think first, like, okay, you have a big NVIDIA card. It's how do you use it, the network, the bandwidth. If you have a bad network or bad, or bad disk system, mm -hmm. uh, for certain patterns, it doesn't work. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah, it was it was really interesting. So I had to, to develop a lot in Python. I, I work a lot on best practices. And so coming to Google, uh, in the end, when I proposed the last uh, system, 
I say, okay, so my algorithm, it's, uh, it's a bit naive, I would say, but you know, it's doing this TFED, IDF, you know, transposing the matrix and so on. Mm. Uh, but they say, yeah, but at, the, at this scale, so they use BigQuery and they told me, okay, the approach is interesting, but BigQuery uh, doesn't, uh, you know, uh, work for us. It's just too many features. So I say, all right, you have the same problem as me. Uh, so if, if some of your listeners as a good database of technology. If some have, after five years, uh, I'd like to know, <laughs> please, because it was my main struggle during my PhD. And um, and yes, so in the end, the approach was interesting. It was working at small scale. Uh, one paper down the line, I could have uh, created maybe a better algorithm that, that worked in this case. Uh, but it was the end of my PhD. So I said, okay, research is, I, I've done my part. I want to move back to the industry now. So yeah, that's how I, I left the academia. Wow. Uh, amazing. Uh, I want to, I want to ask you many questions on, on, yeah. One last thing, one last thing, just, just the funniest thing. Uh, do you know how I end up, uh, doing this kind of inverse into this transpose? I tried everything, everything. In right. the end, I took free hard drive of two terabyte each. I compressed the whole data, uh, on, on one disc. I use the other as a cache and the, the last one as an output and I use a GNU sort. <laughs> What is the only thing that could scale because I say, okay, just doing a, a sorting algorithm. So at this scale, okay, it's n log n and the memory was okay with the cache disk. So I tried everything, you know, but with the overhead of distributed systems, so nothing worked. So in the end, the only thing that worked in my case was hard compression plus using new sort. And uh, in four, it was the best thing, you know. So uh, overall, a lot of hacky stuff, but really interesting because you really, you know, you, you eat the wall so many times that you really know then how to handle and understand data system. That's very impressive. Like I, ha I would have so many questions. I feel that we could just discuss <laughs> that during the entire episode. Um, <laughs> um, how did you feel when you, when it worked, when your hacky solution worked and how many days uh, did you had left before the end of your thesis? Um, so yeah, so I, in, in the end, I, I, um, I work on three papers and the, this last one was, uh, yeah, nine months before. So at this point I said, okay, I, this one is done. I can, um, I can, uh, I can close there and, and write my thesis because, mm. uh, you know, writing a thesis is, is a lot of work, you know, so I'm, I'm yeah. doing a bit of blogging, you know, on writings and, uh, and writing it's, it's, it's like any, you know, training muscle, you know, you need to practice and, uh, writing the thesis when it's it's really um, something I wanted to have some the time to do that and maybe if I had spare time doing thing doing other things but yeah try to to be prudent about the um what to do there all right makes sense um very interesting so you said elastic was uh, elastic yeah. search was the, the yeah. database that uh, you stick with exactly yeah uh, wow what did you learn trying so many databases what did you learn because so many times I feel like, uh, let's say, I mean, it's not every day that we are going, it would be recommended for one personal interest, but it's not every day that we have the opportunity to just try all the databases with uh, a huge amount of data. So yeah. what have you learned around this part of your thesis? Like, do you have insights on databases what are they good for what are not or is it like very focused based on the problems that you had and you were just going through one and yeah so that's a good question so um, uh, to, to, I will come come back to it but just to to also give some context so at university I, I was also responsible for the course on big data and okay. it was a really interesting experience to explain things to your students 
uh, test things by the theory, uh, you know, in the lab and, and, not, and, not, and noticing that the theory <laughs> doesn't always work. So you, yeah, so I, I could explain, okay, graph database, uh, uh, document database, you know, no SQL, uh, all the trade-offs that people do. We are joking with my colleagues saying, okay, when you have a benchmark on uh, SQL database or no SQL, uh, so, some researcher, they like to say, okay, let's, do something like remove the fact that you are writing on disk so you can improve the benchmark, you know. So let's try <laughs> to remove the, 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 the acid properties or removing. Uh, so at some point in the database, you say, okay, if you have, there is a power outage, nothing will, will remain on of your data. So, but yeah, so there was a lot of excitement in our group. We were discussing a lot about databases with one of, of the company working in Luxembourg, so um, uh, data things. So a lot of interesting discussion and in the end, I don't know how to say that, but what you realize is what matters is um, the, the concrete implementation. You can have the, the best model uh, of how the database, the database should work, which thing it's good at, but it's really uh, the structure and the, um, and the uh, how people created it. I'll give another example. Like in my thesis, something I, I enjoy learning was uh, Clojure and Haskell. So two functional programming languages, something you never see in the industry, but for some reason in the academia, you know, I think at some point, if you if you are, if you wrote um, uh, closure uh, Lisp compiler in Haskell, you say, okay, I'm I'm really <laughs> living, <laughs> the, living the paradise of, with my thesis. One so, of the few. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I so in in functional programming, um, you have a nice of good properties. You know, people call it various pure languages and all this concept and all that. I, I really love that. What you end up uh, finding in practice is that. Uh, Nothing beats C in terms of raw performance. And you have always this, this struggle where, uh, personally, I really like functional programming. I, I did my, most of my uh, thesis uh, with uh, Clojure, uh, Lisp language, because um, you have a high-level concept you can really handle, manipulate, uh, so based on non-app calculus. And you, you like this high-level thinking on the on one end, but when it comes up to raw performance, you trust that somebody wrote it in C. And that's the same in the data science ecosystem. You have Python. You know, it's not something you will think, yeah, why Python is not that, 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 that um, you know, uh, fast. But you say, ah, okay, some people created a C uh, implementation that's really performant. That's why it's working so well. So it's the mm -hmm. same for database. You, you want to use, to, to not have to go deep into the details um, uh, if possible. At some point you have. And, and reconsidering my thesis, uh, creating a, a key uh, contribution to Elastic just to be able to retrieve some index and work on some stuff. But yeah, at some point it's okay, come down if you, go to, the, to this uh, rabbit hole, you will never come back. So try to <laughs> just say, see what sticks. That's uh, the best. That's interesting. Um, could you share with us maybe like, how would the database look like when you work on a specific problem, like like the one you described? So, if, so you have all these applications and you have all the information related to them and you try to find like um, how malware could attack them or if they contain malware. I'm not sure if I'm framing it well, but how would you um, like, how would you go about uh, like data modeling part or how, how does it look like? I'm not sure about how to think of it. So maybe if you, if you can uh, share a bit with us some insights on how do you build a, a database around this kind of problems with this kind of data? Ah, yes. Uh, uh, the answer is, is too simple. So let me just uh, ex explain a bit more. One of my teachers used to tell me, you know, a, a good database manager, he needs to think of his data, normalize it, implement it. Then he notice, ah, it's not that fast. They normalize it. And then he has a good version. <laughs> so uh, what was the schema? A, a big, big, big uh, JSON document on one database. 
and uh, and that was it. And um, it was just like, for example, you had um, one one JSON for uh, um, uh, all the the component internal component like the strings, the code snippets, uh, method names, the files inside the APK. So an APK is like a big zip file, so you can index uh, all the stuff you have to extract it first, index it. Uh, and once it's indexed, you can compute a lot of metrics like uh, what is the average number of uh, of line per class, uh, um, what is number of ex of uh, executable file compared to the other file, and so on. And so every database, what's like this kind of, of huge pieces, but no normalization. You cannot you cannot you're not allowed to do that. It's just not performant enough. So it, it's it's performance by brute force. And I know some company, for example, I discussed with, I cannot say the name, but they tell me they are managing a big, big elastic uh, cluster. And uh, all they do is writing Java, Java program to move things around. So the database is really performant, but they cannot use uh, this uh, normalization feature that you like, like joins and so on. So everything is written in Java. And that's how they achieve the best performance. So, yeah. Wow. All right. Wow. That's, uh, that's interesting. All right. Um, so that's about... Uh, such an interesting work around your PhD, but then you've worked with uh, companies, uh, just to give a few names, um, Google, BNP Paribas, European Commission, uh, you're actually working at Decathlon. So I have two questions. Um, I think we'll start from the second one, which is academic versus industry. Yeah. What led you to move from, you finished your PhD, now you want to go to the industry and not stay maybe in a more academical path. And like, how do you balance both of them? What are the pros and cons? How do they combine together well? Do you have insights on that? Yeah. Um, so the, the thing is, um, so like something I used to say, it's uh, I love learning. I hate school. I love research. I, I hate academia. Just to say that I love the, the activity, but I know how it's, you know, structure and frame because I think there's more, more thing to optimize. So the main issue I had with uh, academia is that I worked in the industry before and I was too concrete. Like every time I was working on something, I say, I need to have an open source software with unit test. <laughs> and my critic told me, like, you need test in research software, just no ways. You know, people just don't care. Just write the paper, you know. No, no, but I need to read it in open source with documentation and read me. Say, no, no, do something. And... Everything was like that. So what I enjoy, I enjoy, I enjoy the most was to create all this software and academia. What it gave me, uh, research. What it gave me is this um, ability to to let my curiosity uh, went uh, loose. You know, uh, try to uh, to work on um, activity which I, I I think adds the most value to the to the ecosystem, um, uh, and uh, not necessarily thinking. Okay, just need to be useful. Not necessarily to sell it because that's the hardest part in building a product, but to to, to do something that's useful and um, it's um, yeah so it was nice on one end to, to be able to to explore the field uh, I, I did a ton of uh, of MOOC of, of courses learning about databases so it was a, a great journey you know like you go around the world you know you 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 testing things it's like discovering all the food possible but you end up saying okay that that's nice but doing that all my all my life and plus, as I mentioned, academia. So you have to think after that about uh, proposal and uh, paperwork and um, and things like this. So I think it's it's good uh, if you are really into this kind of uh, of um, explorative, constant exploration mindset. Um, if at some point you want to build something useful, uh, I think there can be some struggle. Not some universities do more uh, better than others. 
Um, and uh, and yeah, so for me, it was clear. After my PhD, I had all I had this time to explore and to nurture my skill in data science and big data. So I wanted to apply it on concrete projects. In the end, I enjoy uh, working more on, with companies like ArcelorMittal, BNP Paribas, European Commission, Decathlon. Uh, in the end, than to say, okay, I will spend five more years in academia and uh, you know doing on paper that you know you go to the conference, some people read it, but I think it doesn't have the same impact from from my perspective. But again, really personal. Some people stay in academia, they love it, and I think it's it's that people are different, and that's uh, the key thing. Hmm. That's interesting. That's uh, I always love to ask this question and and hearing about academia versus um, the industry, and I feel like. Uh, I feel like the more we reduce the gap between both, the more um, we make it easy for people who are more on the academic side to contribute to the industry and vice versa. I feel that it just um, creates a better outcomes. Like we can see a lot of those uh, LLMs, just to give one example, but yeah. a lot of the LLMs, when we, when we just go during a long time to optimize based on um on a specific um on a specific framework on a specific um uh lost the lost the word benchmark when, yeah. when you try to optimize like specific benchmark uh but you just tweaked a little bit your data set or like like mm. to me it's okay i'm not saying in academia there are no like i feel that like i my point is combining both and like having um uh Communication and bridging the gap between the two the two fields seems to me key in the future, yeah. or at least uh, how we think of um, like the words we use in both. I don't know. I just feel like bridging the gap somehow. Uh, I've had this discussion before, like many times, and I feel like this is something very valuable because when we're able to discuss between industry and academia, it's where we can really be more productive and uh, and find better solutions. So I think there's something here interesting. Um, exactly. But the, the main the main difficulty I think it's to to have people that understand each other. I think maybe you you've encountered that in your career. It's a data engineer. Um, it's uh, you you have people, for example, they are really good at development. Uh, data is another field. Uh, people which are building the UI, it's yet another one. Uh, business, you know, I work with geostatistician, people from the bank. So. Um, you know, and it's it's hard to find you know a common vocabulary, common uh, practices, and so on. So, uh, for me, I think there is a, uh, a gap. So again, it, it depends on the country. Some country, uh, you know, they are more okay. The two should be kept separated, and so on. So for me, I agree. For, for bringing the most value, they should collaborate. But is it able to mix? You no, know, it's like water and oil. Sometimes you you say now, it, it, sometimes it, it's hard, and you need to have a so, uh, master chef able to. To, to, t- to make to, to make the right sauce with, with, with the two uh, it's, it's not to, like for example BNP Paribas when I work at BNP Paribas um, we had uh, some uh, two PhD students working there and the customer with, with a business problem for several months it was difficult for them to find okay what things is best tackled by academia which things are, are best tackled by by the, by the industry like for example building docker should, which one should should do that uh, so it's and, and when I, I contributed to, to this uh, mission with BP Paribas, my task was to try to, to understand the expectations from, from each one, try to find the boundaries between the two so that every people could, could enjoy the work and, 
and uh, not and uh, you know it would, it would work well but i think out of the box if you you know if, if for example pe people don't know how the other side is working it's difficult but since i had a background in the industry and in research it was easier for me to to bridge a gap uh, in this project for instance hmm. yeah i feel like sometimes we we, we try to allocate the resources correctly when we just need to like build a team of different profiles and they have all the same goal and they just balance one another with like their unique skills mm -hmm. and uh and ideally in a team when some people are not that expert in one field but have like multiple skills or like can serve as a as a load balancer because they can mm -hmm. traduce what uh, one side is saying to the other i feel that those are very uh, interesting skills and mm -hmm. i feel like more and more profiles are growing like that but we're still like uh, lacking of these uh, profiles that uh, can perform in like different um, environments like uh, understanding users understanding business but also understanding like the problems and 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 what they imply mm. and what's behind it I feel that those profiles are very interesting mm. i agree i agree um i'd like to ask you about freelancing and decathlon mm. so you're right now working with decathlon yeah uh all right what can you teach us about freelancing the journey of a freelancer and uh do you have an experience to share at decathlon like a project or 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 any any client that you had in the past also but like uh, an end-to-end -end project that you you find particularly interesting and 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 had fun building yeah so it's a good question actually the, the two questions i get the most uh, from people i know in, on linkedin and, and uh, mlops community it's how to become a freelancer and how to become a, become an mlops engineer so <laughs> all right so, uh, so, so the secret sauce um yeah I think so. The first thing is to be sure it's it's an equation of your personality. I think uh, mm -hmm. being a freelancer, it's to have uh, an unbounded curiosity, uh, always trying to push the limits. So uh, trying to 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 stay uh, state of the art, uh, uh, trying project on your on your own. Um, it's to um, to also try to know what people are doing in the field. So not to be alone or stick in your room, but you need to also to, to meet with other people. So that's why, for example, I started the MLOps community in Luxembourg is to meet with others, try to see what's their problem, what's their feedback. Um, so for me, after academia, you know, you are, you are you have a tag like academia. So first thing first, you try to get rid of this tag. So I went to a consulting company called Sphere, um, a good company. I really enjoy working there. And um, I had the opportunity to work with um, the ArcelorMittal and, uh, and Decathlon there. And um, I learned a lot. So first mission was as a data scientist, uh, trying to optimize a um, uh, pricing model for ArcelorMittal for their steel product. And then for Decathlon, my task was to, um, to implement the new, the, the new MLOps platform. Um, so um, there is a gap between the two, data scientist and engineer. So what, uh, what was happening is I, um, I did a certification on um, becoming a professional LEM engineer at, uh, on GCP. And I was fortunate because a few months later, uh, Decathlon was looking for someone with these skills. So they said, perfect. <laughs> it, was, it was brand new. So I was in the beta, um, beta user. They said, okay, there, is may there may be 100 people um, that's, uh, uh, that have this certification. So we are happy to have you on board. And so I ended up doing uh, the GCP um, 
platform. Mm -hmm. And then they asked me, okay, do you want to continue working? Uh, you have also the AWS platform to do. So I didn't know nothing about uh, the AWS uh, cloud system. So what I ended up doing, uh, secret source, I took the whole SageMaker documentation and read it uh, over uh, a week with all the white papers, all the uh, architecture uh, blog, uh, you know, on uh, on their website. It's a bit like you no know, uh, Neo in Matrix. You, know, you upload, <laughs> so you upload the SageMaker in your brain, and you say, okay, I know Kung Fu. So we, you know, it's it's um it's, it's a thing. It's uh, databases when you know MySQL, you know Postgres. There is a bit of feature on, on top, but you know it's the same concept. ML MLOps platform, it's the same. So. So yeah, it's it's one thing was so, so to, to answer your question, one thing is I, I think it's important to be curious, uh, try to stay stay, stay of the art. We, we need to be, I'm sorry to say that, but uh, try to be on top, you know, uh, for um, for being an expert in something. You know, you don't want to have a, freela a freelance. From my perspective, at least, it's that may not be as um, accustomed to the field. So mm -hmm. you need to grow your skill, work on interesting projects. Yeah. Um, you need to, um, to to market yourself well. So mm. uh, personal branding, you know, uh, working on, on, on other projects, trying to be, to, to, you know, to, to share with the community as well, to build the relationship. Mm. And, um, and then, yeah, as, um, there's nothing much more because I think in our field, we're quite lucky. I mean, People, I receive messages every week about, hey, do you want to work as a Python developer, ML engineer, data scientist? We, we don't, I think, we don't have to look that far, I think, to 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 find the customers once you have the experience. But it's really the two things: the skills, then comes the experience, and then comes uh, the freedom and the money and everything. But it's uh, the skill first, and then everything goes. Uh, uh, <laughs> Love it, amazing. Um, you said very. Ah, you said too many things. My mind is like, oh, um, I mean, not too many things, but like I have too many questions right now. <laughs> I um, have to if you want to. <laughs> um, all right. Um, Decathlon, freelancing. I'm going to ask you again about like building a, a, around an MLOps, uh, yeah. like, like leading an MLOps project. Um mm. I find the pricing models interesting. Maybe I'll ask you about that. But you said something very interesting, which is um, we have a lot of opportunities, mm -hmm. but skills first. All right. First of all, it feels that once you've made the work to master concepts, which yeah. you kind of did yeah. when yeah. you tried all the databases and exactly. so on, yeah. I feel like the further you get into a field and the further you get into concepts, the easier it is to learn something from scratch, which mm -hmm. have like, because ML, ML engineers is, or MLOps, it's just like the basis are like software engineer plus data science plus uh, different things, but like you already had all of this. And so it feels like this is also why, even though not easy, but you were able to in one week, just go through everything and, and like, okay, get it. I understand what's behind it. Um, do you want maybe to linger on that or comment or add something? Yeah. So I think it's really important because, um, The key thing, you know, it's like a reinforcement learning. There is yeah. always this trade-off between exploration and exploitation. I think mm. every every moment in your career, uh, you have this uh, balance to find, and um, and every moment you need you still are exploring stuff. So after my PhD, there is something I didn't knew. So you are still learning. 
um, you start, for example, learning about uh, like XGBoost. I use XGBoost a lot at my time at ArcelorMittal. So I, 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 I really you know, went so deep into this system, but at the end, okay, I, I know it by heart. But before that, we are using different systems at the university. Mm. So uh, it's, and then you can exploit the thing that you learn. You know, for example, how uh, to, to structure a code base and so on. So yeah. And so coming to your question about MLOps platform. So the, the key difficulty, I think, is to take things in the right order. Um, I think it's really, it really helps to have some kind of, to be structured and to try to, to engage with the customer. My, my manager at Decathlon, I really love, love him, so I say hi if he's listening. He tell me, Médéric, MLOps is about change management. And when you say it like that, you say, okay, it's a human process. It's something where you need to communicate, uh, explain, and... And again, coming as a, uh, I love teaching, so okay, so okay, change accepted. Uh, call me old school. Um, my work, for example, involve uh, using, for example, UML. So it's unified modeling language. It's uh, all stuff from from the edges, you know, <laughs> of IT. But uh, the, the thing is, the first thing was to map the to interview people. Say, what's your problem? Second thing, what's okay? Let's try to come up with some uh, use case. So you need to train a model. You need to tune it. So. Uh, just to be sure that you are in line and we communicate what we expect from the platform. And then you say, okay, we need some logical component to do the task. You need to have um, uh, a serv- um, some compute system, some storage. So that's obvious, but you need to think about uh, also about the tracking, about, uh, the, um, for example, uh, the, the orchestration. So you have all this layer and then you say, okay, I need now to find the technical solution to implement them. So you, you say, okay, there, there is what? There is Airflow. There is a SageMaker, there is Vertex, and so on. And um, and there you say, okay, these systems are quite complex. I can learn a lot from them, but you know, experience from university, you need to have first-hand experience. You can, if you just believe the theory, sometimes it doesn't stick on the wall. So <laughs> you you um, you try you try the technology with others. You get their feedback. Really important. You know, uh, to give an example. Um, you could say, okay, I'll do that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm working alone. I'm, I will take uh, this uh, system, test them all by myself. But then you came up in front of someone, say, okay, use that. And the people rightfully will say, uh, why? What, what is this thing? I don't know what it is. So the, one of the goal was to bring people on board to to spend time with data scientists, to let them test the platform, guide them, and so on. So in the end, you have, uh, you, you have uh, what people want, the real thing that matters to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the use case, logical component, uh, the solution, which solution is best, and then you just need to make some glue around that, and you have a, an MLOps platform. It, it, it's, it sounds it sounds easy, I think, but the, the key thing, and that's a common topic, it's really the, the human aspect. Uh, bring people together, let them engage. We had this concept of champions, people we thought were, was really interested already by the concept of MLOps. We say, okay, we can base on deployment uh, adoption strategy on them, and, mm-hmm. and yes, so it was. Um, it was a very interesting missions. Mm, that's super interesting. And I feel that a lot of the time, um, the problem that we can face, we can build the best MLOP system where like it's super easy to build use cases mm. and deploy them very fast and so on. But if the end user, let's say business people who are going to analyze or make something of the data or logistic or HR and so on, if they are not aligned, like you said, and on board with like all those changes, and no one use it in the end. This is like the same problem with data scientists. You can spend months yeah. training the yeah, best exactly. model in the world. If no one use it, <laughs> well, well, you have zero added value. Um, yeah, exactly. And, uh, 
I totally agree. And the, for me, there is a, a phrase I often use, so it, maybe it's not that clear, but it's to say, for me, MLOps, it's to build industrial system uh, through artisanal, artisanal means. What I say by that, it's what you expect from an MLOps system is to be industrial, to, to have something repetitive, reproducible, uh, that scale well, you know, that's... Uh, uh, and on the other end, people tell me, what should I use? Should I use SageMaker and this and that? And... Every customer is different. They have their background, they have their legacy, they have their, uh, uh, the skill of their people. Like, can, you can give me 10 companies, I will not recommend the same platform to, to, to each of them. It's, it's, um, that's the goal of the engineer. It's to, to, to understand, see what, 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 what would be fitting. You know? like, uh, an example, uh, when I work at ArcelorMittal, uh, I made um, a mistake. It's... Uh, my, my manager told me, okay, we need to, to have um, a system that's usable to uh, data scientists. So I, I did, okay, two objectives for me, uh, usable for data scientists and data analysts, and uh, something I could experiment a lot on. I think at ArcelorMittal, in nine months, I, I have created like 40,000 uh, uh, 40, models because I, I, I was, my, my key was to say, okay, you, they tried a lot of things. We need to try even faster so that we can build uh, thousands of models every week so that we can see what works and doesn't, what doesn't work. But the, the issue I made was on the, on the choice. I say, we'll use notebooks for uh, industrialization. At that time, we say, okay, there was some discussion. Not as now, as you say, notebook, you know, go, go, uh, like yourself, sorry. Um, but you can cut that <laughs> if you want. <laughs> I <laughs> so, won't. <laughs> right, all right. <laughs> so, yeah, so the thing, I, I did a system on notebook based on paper mill, and uh -huh. um, my manager told me, yeah, but, you know, what about best practices? I say that you wanted something accessible. Yeah, but, you you know, we can have something which is accessible, but no, not following best practices. What we'd like is something accessible and that follow best practices. Mm. Uh, so, okay, there is, you know, it, 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 can it work? And say, yes, you need to, to expand people's skills. And yeah. so in the end, the problem was not to have a system which was accessible. It's to, the, what was the thing I should have done was to, to bring people and uh, improve their skills. So, okay, you don't mm. know Docker, you don't know um, how to have uh, the uh, code base in Python. Mm. Uh, let's, um, uh, let, let's grow people's skills. And that was a hard lesson for me, is to, because I had to, to record it. And, you know, I, I didn't want it to miss, so I tried, I put a lot of energy to, to code it again in the right way. It's, um, you always have, always have this choice between uh, having something maybe too simple, I would say, and something which is, uh, um, and not following best practices, I think it's better to grow people's skills. People want to grow, they want to learn more. So exploit that. And uh, I know that at Decathlon, uh, sometimes my, my, my uh, I'm working on the code templates. People tell me like, the template can be a bit hard because I'm using adapter design patterns and, and Pydantic and a lot of unit tests and fixture. And, but you spend time with them. We have training. We, have, uh, we are uh, trying to be as welcoming as possible to the user. And uh, in the end, we end up liking it. So, okay, unit test. Okay, check. Uh, LinkedIn, check. And then you have a code page, which is nice. People which are happy. And... Uh, you have something which uh, try to follow best practices as much as you can to to avoid having to wake up pe people at night. And I think that's a win for every everybody. That's impressive. Uh, it makes total sense. When you said notebooks, uh, were we speaking about Databricks in particular? Um, yeah, so good thing. Um, 
we 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 are also um, using databricks and uh, lots of the earlier stuff with databricks was mainly run on top of notebooks and for for us it was a big issue but for for me personally because you know okay. I cannot came back to Arcelor with my expense of notebook I said no guys you cannot do that you cannot run stuff on notebook you cannot okay. run anything on notebook we should not use notebook okay. so we it was not natural. Now, um, Databricks, they release a big book of MLOT, which I recommend for people who want to use Databricks. They release a lot of resources, but at the time, uh, you really had to go through the API, you know, and it was complex. So the thing I like with Databricks is that you there is always this API you can use to automate stuff, which is key, I think. Uh, and um, we ended up doing uh, our um, implementation of this concept to um, of, of, on top of Databricks uh, API, um, to try to to have everything, but it requires a lot of engineering uh, mind juice to 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 have all the things we needed and not rely so so much on notebooks. So, so now I think it's easier for on Databricks to have this kind of workflows. But back then it was not that easy. So yeah. Mm. And then speaking more generally, um, like so, you explained that you could find different um, tech stack for. Mm like 10 different stack for 10 different companies based on their maturity, where they are with the business, the scale of the business and so on. That being said, do you feel that there are some technologies out there that um, like if you implement them and you have a reasonable maturity in your data, you can't make a bad decision. And by that, I mean uh, cloud computers, you can go AWS, GCP or Azure. Uh, then you have tools like Airbytes, Databricks that I can see yeah. uh, in different places are, are like very common. But uh, that's just what I have top of mind. Do you have a thought on that? Uh, yes. So yeah, good um, good point. So so it's a so there is a lot of cases. So let me g give you some. Um, some people they come to me and say, "Medic, I want to use Kubeflow. Kubeflow instead of the art. I want to use Kubeflow." And I say, "Do you have?" Already, are you already some uh, Kubernetes user, some engineer that can manage platform for you? Say so, no, no, but Kubeflow we know on the, from a blog, you know. So I call I call that uh, medium driven development. You see an article on medium, you want to use that. <laughs> and I say yeah, but it's it's really too complex. So Kubeflow it's made by Google. We know Google, you know they they do some amazing product, but uh, they also have something which are really tailored toward their engineer, no, not not for the general engineer. So. If you are a simple uh, company, don't have a lot of people working on, on this, don't use Kubeflow, for example. Um, if you um, if you uh, just need to do a linear regression, you know, uh, few few megabytes, uh, don't use Spark, don't use uh, SageMaker, you know, just um, a notebook and a, and a, maybe I don't know a Docker my, my, my will be will be enough. So um, it's uh, all of this. I think again come from from first hand experience. It's um, you have something that should be fine in theory, uh, but in practice, not so. Like, um, give you an example. We, um, in my career, so I, I struggled a lot to try to find the, the best MLOps platform. For several years, it was my objective to try to find the best one. So I, I tested several things from the simplest one, uh, from the hardest one. So the NML, Metaflow, DVC, uh, um, I, I, I tried Prefect, Daxter, uh, you know, you name it. You know, you see the, this big poster with MLOps technology. <laughs> you try all the things, uh, Apache, Dam, Argo workflow. Yeah. I, I didn't find any, and that's because it's um, most of the time when you have this kind of general thinking, you don't see the customer. You don't have the targets, so it's difficult. And 
I think nowadays, if you, yeah, even now, I would say you could use um, SageMaker, Azure ML, or uh, GCP. Uh, so, to mention, uh, following this quest, I tried to, to, to complete as much certification as possible. So I got the certification on Databricks, GCP, Azure ML. Uh, so SageMaker, I'm using it, uh, we are using it, using it a lot. So I said, okay, at some point, certification are hard, so it's going to, to have too much. Uh, but to, to compare everything and yeah, they are all they are all good. Um, in eighty percent of the use case, I could say yes, it could work in your use case, but there is twenty where it would be a bad idea. So having general rules is always difficult. So um, a, f- f- uh, a jo- joke, a little joke. So you go on the if you want to become an MLOps expert, the first the thing you need to do is when people ask you a question, you need to answer it depends. <laughs> That's the mark of a true expert. You say I have this problem. Uh, what you need to do and say it depends because you need more context, you need more uh, scalability, volumetry. So I, I work with that architect at Decathlon and uh, same thing, I want that. First question, it depends. What do you have? And you go deeper into the requirements. Hmm. What are the first three questions that you ask? Like, is it, uh, okay, volume of data, um, use cases that you have in mind to implement and uh, maybe, and like uh, the inference, like how long does it need to take for the result to come up? Like, are those three that you consider first or like what would be the first three questions if I come to asking about an MLOps platform for recommendations? Um, actually, my first question will be what's your workforce? Uh, what are the mm. profile in the company? Uh, take, a cafe with the, take a coffee with the people and say, okay, what do you work? What do you like? If somebody is telling you, um, okay, for instance, uh, I don't know how to use a cloud SDK. I'm just using notebook. Uh, throwing uh, SageMaker at this person will not may, may not be the, the best thing. So, or, or, right. or at least you can say you can uh, say you use uh, SageMaker, but you need to find a buddy that will able to to support him. Uh, a data ops, uh, you know, an ops uh, people which have st- skill there. Not necessarily good for modeling, but that's not mm-hmm. a problem. It's to mm-hmm. have someone which know how to use Terraform and know how to use this system. So the workforce. Uh, the price, the price, and um, the budget that you have in this in this sense, and this, and the third thing, but that's because I'm European, it's the regulation. You know, if you are a bank, <laughs> if you are a bank, you, you don't have the same requirement. Like when I work at the European Commission, um, getting to have things running on the cloud, you know, it's a it's a huge challenge. So, and the the problem I think is running thing on premise is really challenging. I always tell, uh, okay, can you say maker? And if you don't want, that's fine. Uh, you need to hire uh, five skilled uh, Kubernetes engineer and they will do miracles for you. But try to find them, <laughs> try to keep them, uh, see how, they, how much they cost, and then reconsider if you really, really don't want to use the cloud or if it's just, uh, you know, uh, a, a false requirement. Right. And after that, I'm asking about inference and okay. you know, scalability. Yeah. But that's completely secondary. That's and, awesome. And, that, and yeah, and that's the thing, it's you... I love I love both questions, but I know that people in the field we love the technical things. You know, we love to say yeah. okay, which which instance I will I'm going to use, which which uh, Nvidia cards. But it's not the the most important question I think for for right. you know when you tackling the I want to have the best MLS platform. Right, right. It's like okay, I want to go there. Cool. Let me build you that plane. Yeah, but I don't know how to drive planes. Yeah, but here is your plane. <laughs> okay, this is my okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, amazing. I have I have too many questions. <laughs> I have too That's many fine. questions. Up to, you, up to you. Um. All right. 
So you helped me reprioritize um, the questions I should ask. Um, I understand clearly, loved your insights on the on the tech stack and how you approach different types of problems. How do you go about state of the art, always trying to understand how, like which solution best implements it. I really enjoy this journey that you shared with us about just going for this, uh, what is the best MLOps uh, tech stack and uh, answer is there isn't, it depends, I love it. Mm. Um, all right, I think I would like to ask you maybe um, uh, a few more questions. Um, the first one being, uh, when you go about, uh, when you, at your work at Asolorital, um, yeah. not sure if I pronounce it correctly, uh, but um, you said yeah, that you trained 40,000 models. Um, how do you, how would you go? Like, what are your insights about building uh, pricing, pricing models? Um, if, if it's, if it were pricing, I think, like, do you have some insights about, uh, pricing models? And I think you've also done a lot of fraud detection. So do you have insights on both those topics? Like, um, maybe shortcuts that you can share with us what yeah. you've learned through building all of this. Um, so I have a, a funny story. Um, we, at, so at ArcelorMittal, um, we, we had a, a creative teams and um, people, people had a lot of, of insights. So what I realized is what was mattering the most for us is to, um, to test the hypothesis as fast as we could. For example, should we, should we build uh, one model per country or uh, one big model? Um, should we uh, um, remove some features or keep them? Uh, how should we uh, structure our uh, back, uh, back testing strategy? So you see in, in pricing model, you need to compare the, to, to predict the future from the past. So you cannot just uh, randomize everything, shuffle things, and uh, it doesn't work like that. So uh, how do you take into account, for example, uh, holidays and over events? So a lot of questions. Uh, again, theory practice. Sometimes I thought I had the best uh, insight, which gave, gave the worst prediction. And sometimes I had the worst insight, and it gave me the best prediction. Give you, I'm giving you the worst. So we we really tried to beat up um, the system in place, which was involving a lot of human, uh, you know, in the loop, uh, and people which know the field quite well. And at some point, I just created a dumb thing, a real dumb thing. It's I say, okay, let's add the year for the prediction and. I had a discussion and people told me, but the year, my Derek, but oh, it has no, it makes no sense. Like we are in 2019. What, what do the model care if you are in 2017 or 2018? Because no, if you are in 2019, it's 2019. You know, if you have a, a branching in your, uh, in your uh, tree algorithm, um, it's, uh, there's no case in the future where we are in 2018. Not sure if it's clear, you see, but it's, uh, yeah. and so. I tried it. I said, okay, I just want to try. I just want to try. You know, it, it doesn't cost me a lot to add a new feature. Let's try that. And it was one of the best features. <laughs> say, why? Why? And what I and, and so you say, okay, okay, I need to explain that. And my better theory was was that uh, it was a way of regularizing the model. You know, pricing tend to become outdated. It was a way to introduce a, a, a feature to say uh, this thing is outdated. Put it into the um, the trash can there. So. It's okay. You say maybe it's just one. You know, it's a, it's a luck. It's just luck. But we tried it. It was um, every time we were running that, and the year came up as a as really a key feature. And so yeah. So you know, it's I'm not a time series expert, but 
um, it, it, it was surprising, uh, but no, say if you say okay, it works. So if it works, let's use it. And it was a good improvement over our, our metrics. So um, that's why it's, uh, it's you know, you have, I think you have this discussion on the show, uh, generative AI, robot replacing us. Interesting discussion. I really love to, to listen to your show for on this topic. So, but the thing is, it's really when you combine the, the power of human to have uh, this imagination, this creativity, and the power of machine to do uh, a lot of operation, uh, that I think you have the best result. And for, for me, machine learning is that. I mean, I would if some, 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 uh, somewhere uh, at some point, I'd love to know someone, a data scientist, would tell me, I know this is going to be the best solution for you. I, I don't know. And every time what I found is people saying, okay, we just tried a lot of stuff. At some point, these things work. Let's do that. You know, from a research background, that's also how it works. And so it's, um, it's um, yeah, so I mean, insight is not to have a fixed list of things, it's to have this uh, dynamic uh, mind flow and um, combine that with a system that allows you to support this mind flow. If, mm -hmm. if you are limited by the system, I think it's bad. Human, it's really the most limiting factor in, in our society today. It mm. should not be the machine, I think. Hmm, yeah, makes sense. Like being able to from yeah, because the the hardest part from the hardest part from part sorry from building models like uh, either well now if we're including time series and pricing mm -hmm. and so, I feel it's just like taking the original data set, creating it, and then just creating features and features and features. Yeah. Um, and uh, so when you can automate that. You can do interesting things with time, hours, years, months. You can then derive the variables. You can do like sinus, cosinus, and like all kind of things. And that uh, combined can uh, at some point um, uh, add up to a, a very interesting model based on the metrics. Uh, do you want to share a little bit on the metrics that you used and, uh, and, um, and maybe like some key features around prices that you find interesting? Um, I don't want to disclose too much thing. And I think now they, they evolved from that. But uh, uh, coming to what you just said, it's, um, uh, you know, in the MLOps field, I think the, um, one of the key aspects as well is to, um, to expose all of these possibilities. Because um, I, I know that it's, you have on one end data scientists which have not been exposed necessarily to design patterns and uh, and so on. They, they code something, it's really, uh, you know, it does one thing and it does it uh, well, but no, you want to do two things with that, it's difficult, mm -hmm. it's hard-coded, you know. I, 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 I watched some some code base in my career, I said, oh, it's, I don't know where it's going, it's it's difficult, it's not manageable. And when you try, you apply design patterns, you can really expose all of this with soft coding, with the, the, again, the, the factory patterns, the, ad, the adapter patterns, and uh, it's um, it's something that, that empowers people. So it's, again, this kind of thing to that support uh, build, testing the features, testing all the com possible combinations. Uh, to my students at university, I was telling them machine learning is just a bunch of for loops. You test all the possible models, all the possible... Um, all the possible parameters, all the possible data set, all the possible combinations. So it's a lot. So it's a lot of computation. And with human mind, you can cut through this uh, this, uh, this number of loops to reduce the search space. But in the end, it's that. And uh, yeah, it's uh, and you need to expose all this possibility to the to the end user. Mm, amazing. Uh, okay. So I'm going to ask you a few uh, last questions. And I have oh. a, a question from um, the previous guest of the previous oh. episode for you. So we're, getting, we're doing this fun di dynamic where ah, yes. uh, you're going to answer his question. Um, uh, 
Um, but before that, do you want to share a little bit maybe your passion around coding in general? Uh, you mentioned um, uh, patterns, designs, and like best practices. Uh, I feel that we discussed so many um, trendy topics mm -hmm. in these episodes. And um, I feel that the approach that you have is very practical and following first principles around mm -hmm coding and patterns and so on. So would you have key lessons and takeaways uh, for us to, to go and think about it uh, and maybe some resources that we should um, look into for everyone who is listening? So, oh, so I have so much thing that came to my mind. So um, uh, just a bit of personal experience. It's um, I really love programming. I mean, I, I've learned uh, C, C++, Java, PHP, Ruby, Groovy, Haskell, Clojure, Elixir, Erlang. So he language, you know the he language? It's a list on top of Python. <laughs> really wow. funny language. Um, you know, so many languages. And what it, it's like um, being polyglot. You know, you, you, there is things that you like, that you don't like. For example, I love the concept of modal in Haskell. I, I love the... I, I'm a big, big fan of uh, Douglas uh, Ostlater. Uh, I never know the name. Um, you know, the, the guy who wrote um, uh, Bash, um, uh, Escher, and... Um, ah, I have a blank. Uh, Bash, Escher, and... Ah, sorry. Uh, the thing is, it's... There is a lot of things in every language, like Elixir, like or, or uh, Erlang. You know, for example, that, uh, that WhatsApp was built by eight engineers, uh, eight engineers working on uh, on the platform, and they were able to to create WhatsApp with one billion people. So, I think it's um, it's what I'm saying is it's by looking at every um, it's really by looking at all these languages that I came up with this. You know, this this toolkit in my mind where I say I can I can use this thing and, and this other so. I think it's really interesting to um, to um, to learn that, but I understand people don't have you know <laughs> you know a day is 24 hours, so you have to you hit the limit. Some people they find it through music or from other activities, so um, it's it's uh, it's it's really it's really a brain activity, I would say. And uh, to answer your question, um, I think what helps overall and to have a really the key advice is uh, try to look at open source projects. Uh, you can find, for example, what uh, Flask is using for his LinkedIn, its organization or other projects. Um, uh, try to um, to know what uh, what's inside, what's in the community. For example, in Python, which thing I've used. I could recommend, for example, there's tons of books, tons of uh, of GitHub repository. Uh, uh, one which is um, interesting, I think it's called uh, Python um, uh, Gotcha. Or there is also what the what the Huck uh, Python. Uh, VTF Python to <laughs> put it like this, and it gives you all the quirks in Python, like the thing that might surprise you. So yeah, at some point you, I, I mean, several times in my career I end up uh, um, reading the Python documentation because I think there is a lot of thing you want to learn, and yeah, it, you can go, you can go through coding challenges, you can go to um, I don't know hacker project, that's the one that's the thing I like the most, and all of this will build your skills. And that's, uh, for example, my wife tell me, told me um, I need to, uh, to, to manage some, to, to parse some emails, put it in a spreadsheet. You say, okay, I'll do that. And you learn how to do that afterwards. So it's, it's, um, it's the sum of your experience. And I would say even for, for uh, so it's three things, some of your experience, some of your errors, <laughs> errors are key in programming. And also, um, you know, looking online at resources, but I understand everything, you know, you have, 24 hours in a day. So yeah, it's uh, it's to select what's really the most appe appealing to you. 
Mm, yeah, following curiosity. Uh, but that gives a clear... Um, uh, it's not the first time I hear about uh, uh, just reading documentation and it feels a very powerful... Um, I'm getting to it. I'm getting to it. Um, reading like uh, Airbyte, you mentioned Flask. Uh, yeah. There are many interesting things to read. Um, awesome. All right. So um, I'm going to ask you, well, f I think this is going to be the last question before the two little questions. And okay. then the um, well, previous guest on the show is going to ask you um, a question. So uh, let's go into it. Um You've mentioned every, uh, I think we've covered uh, many, many topics here. Um, I think, um, okay, from an MLOps perspective, from a cutting perspective, from a freelance perspective, I think uh, we've had uh, uh, very insightful um, topics. Mm. Um, so where can people learn more about you? Uh, do you share on LinkedIn? Do you have a website, a blog? Um Where can people learn more uh, or contact with you? Uh, so several places. If it's online, people can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I, uh, I share articles, so I don't try to, to spam people. But if, some, if I find something really interesting that we discuss in the NOPS community, for example, I like to share it. So, you know, it's, uh, there is a lot of, of good resources online. Um, people can also find me on uh, Uh, on the MLOps community, I'm, I, 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 I love to answer questions uh, on Slack and it's, I think it's a, a good way to learn MLOps because there is not uh, a course on MLOps and it's by ex discussing with people that you find the best, the best uh, problem and the best uh, answers. And um, if you want to find me physically, so I'm, lo I'm locating in Luxembourg in Europe, uh, I, uh, I help run the uh, MLOps, the local community. Uh, so if you are uh, near Luxembourg, you are welcome to, jo to join one of our meetups. Uh, I think one of our next one will be with AWS to discuss about Bedrock for generative AI. So it should be interesting. And um, yeah, and I have, I have also a blog. And also, um, if you want so, uh, a bit of add, Um, I, we also, um, I'm also uh, coordinating the uh, writer community on the MLOps community. So if you think there is an article that would be worth relaying on the MLOps community or the newsletter, uh, again, feel free to reach me. I'd be able to review it and to help you share it to the community. So yeah, I think, uh, yeah, all these places. Awesome. Uh, so my last question before the guest, previous guest question, I need to get used to, to, to introducing this new concept. Um, uh, my... My last question is based on this episode, based on everything that we shared or not, it can be something totally different. What did you feel that you could share? Like, what is your end message? Let's say uh, it can be anything. It can be in this episode or not. You decide. So um, the end message would be be curious. Um, the... But the thing is, I, I, I can understand that from listening to me, people might say, yeah, but I don't have the time to read Python documentation. I, I completely understand. I mean, it, it's really to, to find something that you enjoy doing through the way that you, that you like. So again, coding competition, discussing with others, um, it's the best way to grow your skill. And if you don't grow your skill, it's okay. I mean, we, being a good human, it's important. I mean, it's, it's, it's far better, I think, to say, um, I have a nice experience where I, I can... Um, Um, share with people, know their problem, you know, bridge people together. Uh, and and that, that's important. I, so some of my best managers were not the best technical people, but man, they, they, they were so good, you know, at bridging people. So yeah, it's do, do something that you are passionate and uh, 
and then the curiosity will go, will go after, I think. Mm, that's a powerful message because, uh, like you said, uh, sometimes it can be overwhelming. Uh, like when we want to make a first step, I'm speaking to myself here, this is a message yeah. for me for later. But um, when we want to do a first step towards a goal and, um, and then we are overwhelmed with the informations of which path we could take, but having these goals in mind where we're following our curiosity and we're just keeping taking actions through times uh, it is very empowering and somehow we 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 add up some skills uh, that are unique and i feel that the value comes from having unique skills that combine and uh, have a cumulative effect over time uh, compounding if effect uh, if i may share something on that is when i was 20 One of mm -hmm. my main philosophical discovery was uh, one people that wrote on the internet, you know, you can see yourself what you want to become and see this huge gap between the final you and you, which is, you know, too much to, 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 this is too much for you to, to follow this path. But if mm -hmm. you just say, okay, what can I do to, to, to be just a bit better, you know, step by step, that, that helps a lot, so that helped me a lot uh, in my career. And uh, it's like also when you have to, to want to have, uh, to, to eat with your friend, you know, at some point you say okay it's a bit a um, big meal but uh, bit by bit you know you can eat it eat everything so our <laughs> 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 food is more pleasant and you know we don't have the same kind of restriction you know <laughs> for for coding and stuff you know it depends on the people so yeah again if you love eating food that's that's easy for you to do <laughs> <laughs> this is a this is an interesting analogy <laughs> this is a, um all right and the and the and the guest questions is right. what is your favorite and this is funny that i'm asking it to you because you have so many uh, programming languages to choose from but the, the question is uh which is your favorite programming language and why is it python <laughs> which is oh, no, no. <laughs> so... uh, for me it's, it's lisp it's lisp, it's lisp. Think, yeah it's lisp because program Yeah, when you, you again, I don't recall the, the, the name of the book, but please share it on your on your episode. So um, it's um, Lisp. I read P Peter Norvig, for example, director of AI at Google, and and other thing. I'm, I'm Lisp. When some people explain to you that you know the the the, the relation between between mm -hmm. DNA and proteins is the same between Lisp Lisp, uh, Lisp uh, code and program, mm. it's like it's like mind blow. There is. I mean, it's not a language I would use on, the, on, on, on my work day to day, but it was of the languages which I would say is uh, you, you touch, you know, there is type XKCD, you know, the famous comic, Lisp. Yeah. You get the picture. You have a comic saying um, universe was written in Lisp. And the end, some people will tell you, no, no, it's, at the end, it's some people that hack it in Perl. <laughs> That's a nice <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Yeah, yeah and um, I think it's Paul Graham who, who have uh, uh, the, yeah. the creator of uh, YC Combinator who always he always always been talking about Lisp. He's still talking about Lisp, and, yeah. and Lisp seems like uh, an amazing language. And so maybe just to linger a little bit on Python, do you have a favorite Python package or like something that you really like about Python? Um, uh, good questions. Uh... No, I think with Python, what I like is its um, is its simplicity. Because the the thing is, when you are learning a language, I mean, all this we discuss, it's complex, and I'm sure all the guests in your in your and, and the, your listener, it's a complex topic. Uh, bit by bit, you can have it as we discuss, but it's complex. And I think having a language which which is so simple, we we can 
you can leverage the whole C, C++ Rust code base uh, to have something, a simple experience. But that's the key feature. So it's not a, a package, it's that. And you, so that you can focus on your problem and, and the language is not another problem. Like, I haven't learned Rust yet, uh, uh, but uh, for me, the language is intimidating. It's good if you want to work on low level, but when you have to bridge uh, training, MLOps, and all of this stuff, having a simple language, it's, it's good, I think, for, for the brain to, to focus on what matters, I think. Makes sense. All right. Uh, we're reaching an end of this episode. I want to thanks a lot for taking the time to coming on the show, to sharing all your knowledge. I had an outstanding time. For everyone who is still listening, thanks again for uh, being here and being interested in these topics. Um, um, what we're doing here on Let's Talk AI is really trying to bridge those gaps that we mentioned in this episode uh, in terms of uh, bringing closer the community and understanding better data and AI in general from technical perspective, but also from an entrepreneurship perspective, um, legislation, regulation, uh, ethics, and so on. So if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to subscribe uh, and share comments. I would love to hear uh, some feedbacks on this episode and that being said thanks again Medric for uh, your time I had an amazing time like I said now we should have a wonderful day yeah and you too and, and, by, and just if I may add you have a wonderful podcast I listened to several of the past episodes so subscribe register maybe you not do that but uh, you know uh, on, on, on all your podcasts and it's uh, some really great episodes so th thanks a lot Thomas for what you are doing likewise have a great day you too